When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, friends? Welcome to Forward Product Progress, the Friday edition where we are going to be doing props, fantasy, injury discussions, all for this week's games. As a reminder, we're going live every Monday to Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern with an assortment of hosts and guests to talk about the football slate coming up this week, Sunday mornings as well. Rob Pozzola will be live doing the pizza buffet. We're at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern. He's going to go through the entire Sunday board and place his bets before the game. So if you're looking for something to sweat and you don't have anything before the game, that is the best place to go. And then finally, in the evening on Sunday, right before the Sunday night football game, Rob and Clive Bigsby will be live discussing opening lines from Pinnacle and where they see them moving in the week. If you're looking to get CLV, you're looking to bet early, that's the best place to be. So much good content on this channel. You should hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell so you do not miss any of the content that we are putting out. Also, for today, smash that like button. Gives us a boost in the algorithm. And it also lets Rob know that I'm doing a good job. Uh, usually, you'll see George Silfidis here, but today I'm filling in for him. George is busy today. Uh, hopefully, I do a good job filling in. Let me know if I don't, though, in the comments down below. And of course, none of this would be possible without our sponsors over at Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. Uh, 25 years of competitive odds, your trusted sportsbook, bet smart, bet pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly and not available in the US. With that out of the way, guys, I'm going to bring on our first guest today. We have Matthew Freeman coming on, plus EV Sports Better from The Fantasy Life. Matthew, how's it going? How was your Thursday? Yeah, I mean, Thursday could have been better. Not, not going to lie. I feel like I didn't have the best read on that game. I thought uh, it was going to be closer than it was. I had the mm -hmm. Giants plus 10 and a half, and that macro perspective impacted the uh, way in which I positioned myself in the prop market. So, I, you know, one and three, uh, honestly, glad I was one and three. It, it could have mm -hmm. been 0 and 4. So, you know, survive and move on to the, the weekend slate. Exactly. And sometimes those games are really hard to read. I know personally, I was kind of back and forth on that 10 and a half and I'd really just stayed off it because I wasn't really sure. And I mean, there were so many injuries last night for the Giants. Let's quickly talk a bit about them. We had Ben Bredson out for them. Andrew Thomas, Saquon Barkley, Aziz Ojolari, tons of guys missing uh, time here for the Giants. But I think the biggest thing to come out of last night for me personally was the Giants willingness to kind of just roll over and die, right? You, I, I understand there was a, uh, I think there was two minutes and 30 seconds left. They made that stop. Uh, San Fran punted the ball and then they trotted out Tyrod Taylor. I get it. You're down three scores. You probably don't, you'd have like literally no chance in the game, like maybe a 0.01% chance. But I mean, you just gave Daniel Jones four, four, four years, a four year deal with $160 million. Like, what are your thoughts on that? They're not a good team. You know, like that's just the most basic uh, superficial type of explanation. But like right now, they are not a good team. Um, mm -hmm. They can't get out of that contract with Jones. 
Uh, I think it's going to be a painful season. I took the alt under a five and a half on them in the off season. I mean, they have a really tough schedule. The thing is, like, in theory, they could have even improved as a team this year and still had a tough season mm -hmm. just based on how a lot of things lined up for them and, you know, natural regression. I, I do think that Dable is probably a good coach, but they feel like the kind of team that is just going to get obliterated by your sort of, like, upper third, upper quartile type of teams. So we saw that in week one hammered by the Cowboys we saw it this uh this Thursday night barely escaped with a win against the Cardinals who you know might be one of the bottom five teams in the league uh yeah just nothing really positive to say about the Giants yeah and uh Sharp Clark who is a contributor on this channel put out a great tweet uh today just talking about how Daniel Jones and Brian Dable kind of get beaten up by these really high-end uh, defenses here. Uh, you should go check out his Twitter, at SharpClarkNFL, uh, if you're looking for those numbers. But yeah, this this Giants team likes to beat up on smaller teams, but when they go to the big boys, they, they tend to get uh, their lunch money taken from them. I mean, like, at this point, do you think that, like, it's tough to get out of this Daniel Jones contract, but, like, should they be looking to rebuild and, like, kind of build this, this whole team from the ground up and, like, kind of tear everything down. I think that's part of the problem with Brian Dayball as well. Is he's actually such a, like, pretty good coach that he can, like, mask these weaknesses in, like, fundamental team building where I feel like the Giants are lacking. I don't even know what a rebuild would look like for the Giants, you know, because, I mean, they I feel like they have a coach. They're kind of locked in with their quarterback. They, they need to address the wide receiver position. They need to figure something out there because, like, what they're doing now is not satisfactory. Yeah, it sucks. And I, I would really wish they would mix in Jalen Hyatt a little bit more because he was at least creating some separation off of his corners last night in like the five snaps that he played. Um, let's let's go over to the other side, though. More fun to talk about the Niners than the Giants. Last night, we saw CMC finally get a little bit of a reduced workload. Mind you, he still had 18 carries, and I believe he had five or six catches on six or seven targets. Uh, we saw Elijah Mitchell work in, though, right? Elijah Mitchell's really first, let's call it full game of the season. He had 11 carries to CMC's 18. We talked about this yesterday on this channel. I host the Thursday show. We mentioned that, hey, maybe Elijah Mitchell might mix in with it being a shortened week. Do you think this was just a function of it being a short week where CMC kind of, I don't want to say lost work, but like had, had a little bit of a reduced workload and Elijah Mitchell mixed in? Or do you think that this is maybe a trend we're going to see moving forward as we get deeper into the season? Yeah, a little bit of all of it. I misread the situation entering Thursday night football. I didn't really think about the short rest. That was sharp. Uh, you know, some of it was getting the lead early in the game. Some yeah, of it was sure. the, the uh, you know, the only four game, four days to prepare and rest. Uh, and then Shanahan has said that he wants to ease off of CMC a little bit. So I think we see a continuation of this. I don't think it's going to be as, you know, emphasized as like 18 to 11 carries. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that there. And the last thing I want to touch on is the loss of Brandon Ayuk. We don't know. He probably, probably is coming back next week with 10 days rest. It looked like he was a 50 50 to go last night, but I mean, when a guy like that goes down, he was like, it seemed like he was the guy the first two weeks. But then when a guy like that goes down, you kind of forget how funneled these targets get towards Debo Samuel and, and uh, George Kittle here. Like, if Brandon Ayuk comes back and he is fully healthy, is it? Do you think it's still going to be Brandon Ayuk than the rest, or do you think we're just going to see like a, a a carousel of uh, targets here for these guys? Yeah, I mean they have like a four alpha offense, you know, <laughs> yeah, like crazy. it's 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 the situation where when one of those guys is out, at that point you see the opportunity for the other three remainders to like become the best version of themselves. But um, you know, if Ayuk comes back, I think it's 
Ayuk number one, but like still barely. Like yeah. at, in any given game, like Debo can go off. And it's the same with Kittle, the same with CMC, obviously as a runner, but then also as a receiver. So, you know, Debo, uh, I, I mean, I think this was like an emphatic reminder of just how good he is in his own right. And, you know, we saw that two years ago when he had like something like 1,700 yards from scrimmage. Like the guy is an unreal playmaker. Debo is probably uh, like the better playmaker. Ayuk is probably the better receiver. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And you can see that it was just how they utilized Debo Samuel. I mean, that that uh, was a screen pass and he just ran 40 yards. Just four guys couldn't tackle him doing his best Marshawn Lynch impression over there. All right, let's that's enough about Thursday. Let's get into the Sunday games right now. There were two games you want to talk about. One of them being uh, the New England Patriots ho- uh, on the road, excuse me, to the New York Jets. A couple of injuries to note here. Uh, Trent Brown limited for New England. Jonathan Jones also limited. And then Marcus Jones, a DNP on the other side of the coin. We have the Jets. Greg Zerline was limited at practice with a groin issue. Tony Adams limited. Michael Carter II, not the running back, the cornerback, limited as well. And then also Brees Hall limited. But we'll probably be seeing that throughout the year as he looks to recover from that injury in the offseason. Let's start with the Jets here. They look like an actual good team minus their quarterback, right? And for so many years, the quarterback has been their issue. And, and I know this has probably been talked to death with Aaron Rodgers being out. But they said that Zach Wilson is their guy after last week. And going into this week, do you still believe that they think that Zach Wilson is the guy? I mean, he's the guy for right now, you know, but like if they lose more games in terrible fashion, they'll probably bring someone in. But I doubt like it's a big trade for Cousins or Tannehill, uh, you know, even though I think that would make sense. Yeah, fair, fair enough here. Um, I mean, how if it looks like we'll be seeing Zach Wilson, at least for the like the next, let's call it two to three games. And like, how much is this? Feel, how much do you feel like this neuters that offense with like talents like Brees Hill, with talents like Garrett Wilson, and all the guys they brought in this offseason? Uh, entirely neutered. There is there is nothing left down there. It has all been taken away. Uh, you know, like I forgot who tweeted this out, but there was a graph of offensive metrics, and you have the Jets like all the way in the bottom left hand corner. It's just like absolutely terrible what is happening with this offense. Yeah, that's hilarious. I think that was Ben Baldwin, maybe computer cowboy usually does those charts, but I'll have to look at that on Twitter uh, later. If this, so continuing with the jets here, I mean, it's going to be a scary situation for them, right? Because if they don't make a move now and if they wait, they're, they're probably going to lose this game, right? At least they're, they're lined to lose this game right here. The next three games they have are the Broncos, the chiefs and the Eagles, right? They're probably looking at that coming out two and four, one and five. And I mean, at that point, do you think they can even trade for a guy? Like if you're one and five, two and four in the hole in a tough division, in a tough conference, like, is there any hope for this team? No, I mean, it's, it is already right now. It is already too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they could have been zero and six or one and five to open the year with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it takes time to get a quarterback acclimated. So given like, how how hard it is to integrate a quarterback a new quarterback into your system like even if they traded right now for Kirk Cousins they would still be significantly behind the eight ball all the way until the week seven bye yeah and and they pulled an absolute rabbit out of the hat with that win over the Buffalo Bills but enough about the New York Jets let's flip over talk about the New England Patriots the biggest shock for me in the New England and seeing the New England Patriots this year was how like competent their passing attack looked uh, this year compared to last year. Are you surprised at all that it's looked 
like not terrible, I guess is the best way to put it. No, I mean, you know, Bill O'Brien is average at worst as an offensive coordinator. And Matt Patricia was terrible. He's literally not even an offensive coordinator. And that's Mm -hmm. not like an insult. That is a statement of fact. So like, it's a massive upgrade overall. So, you know, like, uh, I don't think they're going to be all that great against this defense, but like, you know, in general, we should see a functional offense. Yeah, fair enough. And continuing with this offense here, you do a lot of fantasy stuff uh, for the fantasy life. And um, I want to talk about Hunter Henry because he seems to be that one tight end who might have creeped his way up to be the guy behind the big three of Kelsey Andrews and Hawkinson. Do you think he's there yet? Uh, Hunter Henry being that like, I don't want to call him upper echelon, but like the tier behind the upper echelon tier. Do you think he's there? No, um, but like, so I have him as the tight end 12 this week. And I, I gotta say, like, there's not much of a difference between the guys who are like tight end seven and eight mm-hmm. and the guys who are tight end 10 through 12. Like they are, they are like all in this clump together, but you still have after that top three that you mentioned, you still have, uh, you know, like you have Kittle in there, you have Waller, you have Goddard. Like those are like really solid guys who are still a class above like everyone else. Yeah. They have like kind of a floor where if they don't get a touchdown, you'll be like not throwing up all over yourself when you look at the box score right uh, afterward. Um, so last question here before we get into one of your uh, bets on this game. So how do you think you touched a little bit on this, but how do you think this offense? I mean, I mentioned it looked decent. How do you think they'll be able to produce against this New York Jets defense that looks to be like legit, like a top three, top five defense in the league? Yeah, I bet the under on this game, you know, uh, like I think it's a back and forth type of game without a lot of scoring. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, the only thing I worry about betting the under with Zach Wilson in the game is how often he turns over the ball on like the 20 yard line. And it's yeah. like you get a free red zone drive. Anyways, um, let's continue with the New England passing offense a little bit more. You're looking at Mac Jones for one of your props this week. Just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I like over 31 and a half pass attempts. And, you know, I mentioned you have Bill O'Brien there with him. The offense has really changed. They went from number 17 in pass play rate last year, number 17 in pace to number four in pass play rate and number four in pace. And so as a result, Jones leads the league with 96 pass attempts through two weeks. Uh, And so the spread of this game is close. I think that means we don't see the Patriots like really lean into the running game. Like they will need to be a little more balanced throughout the contest. So again, I don't think the Patriots are going to do a lot on offense, but I think we're going to see enough opportunities for Jones to hit the over on the pass attempts. And I have this projected or like the site rather uh, fantasy life. We have this projected for 35. So I think there's some significant wiggle room there. Okay, so I just have a quick question for you because the board right now, there's a lot of 31 and a half, but there's also 32 and a half and 32 and a half best price right now in market is pinnacle at the plus 114. 31 and a half, I'm looking right now, best price I can find is around minus 120. Yeah, minus 120. So like just ph- philosophically speaking, like what would you rather play uh, right now if, if for the past attempts? Would you rather take the, the step up, go to 32 and a half, get that plus money or stick with the 31 and a half and get the minus uh, 120? I would probably rather do the 31 and a half. I think like the difference from like that one pass attempt is probably worth more than like the difference in the juice. But uh, either one, I I feel like I would be fine with given that we have it at 35. Fair enough here. Okay, I'm going to lock that in right now. 31 and a half minus 120 for a full unit. All right, let's move on to our next game here. We have the Atlanta Falcons at the Detroit Lions. Detroit currently lined minus three, minus 114. They opened up as like four and a half point favorites, I want to say. But then all this injury news came out. We had Taylor Decker, Halopil, 
Vita Vitae. I cannot say his name for the life of me. Uh, David Montgomery hurt. Emmanuel Mosley hurt. Amon Ra potentially hurt. Josh Reynolds hurt. I mean, we got a ton of injuries here for the Lions. And on the other side, uh, Troy Anderson for Atlanta, full participant. Jeff Okuda, full participant, looking to be relatively healthy here. I mean, the Detroit Lions potentially without their two uh, without two offensive linemen and their 1A running back in David Montgomery. Uh, your un- one and two options might also be nicked up this week with Amon Ra and Reynolds. Uh, how, how concerned are you about the output of this Detroit Lions offense this week? Slightly concerned, but not that concerned. Uh, David Montgomery, not to say like running backs don't matter, but like mm-hmm. they have running back depth there. And then Amon Ra, he uh, practiced limitedly on Thursday. So I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic he's going to play in this game and basically be, you know, like a version of himself. Yeah, fair enough here. And then so you mentioned the running backs here. And again, like just want to take the fantasy angle uh, outside looking in. This should be like a good game for Jameer Gibbs. But then you had when David Montgomery went went down last week, you had Craig Reynolds step in on like the David David Montgomery touches, right? Like, yeah. uh, do you think this is going to be like a, a Jameer Gibbs game or is it just going to be uh, Craig Reynolds just swooping up, taking that uh, David Montgomery role? How do you see this RB, RB room shaking out here? Yeah, a little bit between. I think Reynolds gets like a toned down Montgomery role and then Gibbs has a sturdier floor and a higher ceiling than he's had previously. Like the, his receiving uh, like work that is locked in. Yeah. Uh, he could inherit some of Montgomery's rushing workload, although probably not that much of it. So I have him as a fantasy, like low end RB one. Okay. I like that. Uh, and with the RB landscape, any like the RB landscape has been yeah. horrible. Take anyone you can get on the other side of the coin. We have the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm happy we're able to talk about this game. Cause I looked, I do the Thursday show. Atlanta did not, does not play on Thursday this year. And that kind of made me sad because I am so frustrated with this team. And I want to talk about them. They are like literally watching them makes me want to, rip my hair out they they feel like a fake team to me i mean two weeks ago they beat the carolina panthers kind of on the back of two costly turnovers that led to two of their only three only three scores uh what do you make of this atlanta falcons team here they kind of beat the packers because the packers puked on themselves and lost that game like what are your thoughts on this atlanta falcons team yeah i mean entering the season they had one of the easiest strength of schedules so like we should expect them to kind of outperform like what they actually are as a team and like they feel like the NFL's version of like a military service academy where like because they like they run the ball so much and because they play out of so many different, especially like heavy personnel packages, like they are different than every other team. And like that, which makes you weird, could also like make you almost wonderful. You know, like uh, they are just they're hard to game plan for, which means like in every game, they always have a shot to win. Um, but that said, like the they might be maximizing like the most out of their scheme, but they are definitely not maximizing the most out of the talent that they have on the roster. It's so frustrating watching Desmond throw to Drake London and Kyle Pitts, but I mean, I could talk about that all day. So we'll just leave that as it is. And we'll talk about the running game. Like you mentioned here, uh, it's where it's at with this team. Like you said, Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier. I mean, they are a two headed monster. Uh, you are targeting this backfield this week for one of your props. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you see the usage in this backfield and who you like for this game uh, for our props. 
Yeah, Tyler Algier over 41 and a half rushing yards. Last year, the Falcons were number two in run rate. This year, they're number one. I mean, like running the ball is what they do. They're basically just a backfield factory. And even with Bijan Robinson there balling out, Algier still had 15 and 16 carries in weeks one and two for 75 and 48 yards rushing. You know, like going back to last season, he hasn't had fewer than 41 and a half yards rushing uh, since week 10, you know, and he was splitting the work with Corderell Patterson, you know. So he is really important to what they do. And Patterson was uh, inactive last week. So as long as Algier doesn't have competition from both Bijan and Patterson, uh, I think he has a really good chance to hit the over here. And, and of course, like the matchup uh, against the run defense for the Lions, that's just kind of icing on the cake. Fair enough here. And uh, you're about to head out. Before you do, you have three more best bets. So why don't you hit us uh, with them in rapid succession here? Yeah, Brian Robinson under 17 and a half carries. Just negative game state going against a pretty good Bills defense. I just don't think he's going to have the uh, the opportunities really to hit the over there. Trevor Lawrence over 14 and a half rushing yards. He's hit the over in both of the past two games. And I've talked previously about how I think just for pocket passers who have mobility in general, the market this year has been too low on their rushing props. And then finally, Alexander Madison under 58 and a half yards rushing. I mean, he's playing for the pass heaviest team in the league. He's been incredibly inefficient. Uh, and now, you know, maybe Cam Akers comes in to steal a couple of carries and maybe they give a little more work to Ty, Ty Chandler. So taking the under there, 58 and a half. All right. I like those plays. And Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you can catch Matthew, all Matthew's work over at the fantasylife.com. So go check it out there. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Have a great one. All right. See ya. All right, that was Matthew Freeman from the fantasylife.com plus EV better. Now, moving on to our next guest, we have Jack Miller, uh, NFL fan who does NFL fantasy betting and projections for Establish the Run here. Uh, Jack Miller, how's it going, man? Going well. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. I'm usually on the back end here, so it's, a per it's, it's very nice to come here and talk to you face-to-face -face in person. First game we have on the docket here, though, we have the LA Rams going head to get head against the Cincinnati Bengals. And this game has been like completely all over the place throughout the week. I'm happy that you brought it up as, as one of the games you wanted to talk about here. I mean, the line movement, I, I can't keep track of it on my sheet. I have it as uh, Bengals minus three and a half right now, but that's moved since I wrote it down. We saw the Rams open up six and a half point dogs, moved all the way down to one and a half, back up to three and a half today. And then now it looks like it's going back down to that one and a half again. I mean, the injuries we're keeping note on is the Joe Newt Newt note boom here for the Rams and then obviously for the Bengals Joe Burrow right that's the biggest story here so I mean with this line movement what do you make of this this Bengals offense with or without Joe Burrow yeah I think the opening number at six and a half was just bad given how you know there's a there's a chance Burrow doesn't play and then even if he does play the Bengals offense hasn't been very good um I, I did see that he was throwing during individual drills at practice today we'll see if we get any more reports um I was not super concerned with the Bengals offense after week one, but after seeing them repeat it in week two, um, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. It seems like the calf is a real issue for Burrow. Um, with that being said, I, I typically am not betting uh, into major markets later in the week, so I'm not like taking a side on the, the Bengals-Rams game, um, but I am curious to see where it closes uh, with or without Burrow. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And just out of curiosity, have you have you looked in at all on backup quarterback? I believe Jake Browning is it. Uh, like, do you know anything about him? Because I haven't seen a, a drop on him. 
Yeah, not a whole lot. Uh, I mean, once line, there, there's not even props out for this game yet, which makes a ton of sense because obviously they, they need to know if Burrow's playing first. Um, I, I think if he gets ruled out, that's when I'll really dig in. But obviously, even with Burrow at kind of half uh, ability right now, I, I'd imagine Drake Browning is a pretty enormous downgrade for the Bengals. Fair enough. Downgrade for the Bengals. But how do you feel like it's a downgrade for those skill position receivers in Jamar Chase and T. Higgins? I mean, Jamar Chase has been really slow to start the year, uncharacteristic of him. First game, we can kind of give him the pass for that weird weather week. But the second game, it felt like he just couldn't. I don't know if, if he wasn't getting separation or if Joe Burrow felt like he had to get the ball off quickly because of his cap. feel like he couldn't move around in the pocket, step up and, and get a throw out to uh, Jamar Chase here. But I mean, T. Higgins saw it all. Like, how, how do you feel those two guys kind of stack up with? or without Joe Burrow going into this game? Yeah, I think it's more an indictment on Burrow than it is on any of the receivers, especially knowing that Burrow's been been dealing with this calf injury. I don't really think there's there's anything wrong with Jamar um, or with T. Higgins. So I, I think the volume is going to be there regardless for both guys. It's just a question of if Burrow can play, and if he does play, if he can actually be effective. Okay, fair enough here. And enough about this uh, Bengals team because, again, too much in the air here to kind of know what to do from a props angle uh, perspective. Let's talk about the Rams, who are like almost like the the story, the storybook. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say ending, but like a, a good story in this season. Let's call it that. I mean, uh, to start, first of all, Puka Nakua has been fantastic for this team. Uh, he's looking tr- to go against... Bijan Robinson here for rookie of the year, maybe who knows, but uh, he's kind of proven himself over the past two weeks that he's not a flash in the pan, but when Cooper cup does come back, if he does, how do you think that eats into Puka's targets? And do you think that will eat into his targets or more so Tutu Atwell's targets? Like what, how do you think this shakes out when, or if Cooper cup comes back? Yeah, I think it's a downgrade for everyone, but I do think Puka Nakua is, is going to be a pretty big part of this offense. Regardless, he can play inside. He can play, Outside, I, I don't think you get 25 catches in two games and then just all of a sudden when Cooper Cup comes back, you go away. Um, and Cup is 30 years old now. He has an extensive injury history beyond this year. And then the hamstring thing is, is just kind of really weird with him seeing a specialist and no one really knowing what's going on. Um, so I, I think Pook is here to stay when Cup comes back, uh, if Cup comes back. But assuming he does come back, it, it's a downgrade, I think, across the board for Puka, for Tutu, for Higby for Van Jefferson for all these guys. Um, but I, I mean, I think Puka is still going to be a pretty big part of this offense. Like from a, a fantasy perspective, I think Puka is going to be pretty relevant all year long. Yeah. And he's relevant because his quarterback has done wonders this year. I mean, I'm kicking myself for looking down on Matthew Stafford and this Rams team and this offense and just being down on them in general coming into this year, just assuming that they were tanking. But I mean, McVeigh and Stafford, they're two of the best at what they do, and they were able to string together some great games. Uh, are you impressed with Stafford's performance so far over these last two weeks? We had Sharp Clark come on here and say, like, out of principle, Matthew Stafford, in his opinion, has been the best quarterback to play so far in the 2023 season. What are your thoughts on Matthew Stafford's season so far? Yeah, I think there's definitely an argument for that. I mean, Tua Tagovailoa probably has is the MVP front runner if the season ended today. But I mean, if you consider the weapons that Stafford has uh, compared to two, I, I think that it's fair to say he's been the most impressive quarterback, especially relative to expectations and how down everyone was on the Rams this year. Fair enough. And the last thing here on the Rams, I want to talk Cam Akers, who was just kind of dumped 
for nothing, essentially. Uh, basically cut, but they got but maybe a sixth-round pick for him in a pick swap. Who knows uh, if that's going to come through, what the conditions are. I haven't really looked into it too much yet, but that means it's full go for Kyron Williams here. I, I, can, I looked at their RB room. I think they have Ronnie Rivers as their backup. Uh, is it full go for Kyron Williams here? I think so, at least in the short term. Well, I mean, he's a, a former day three pick with one career starts. So we'll see in December if he's still a workhorse. But I think in the short term, I mean, his role last week was absolutely ridiculous. He was running around on basically every Matt Stafford drop back. He was out there for pretty much every snap. I, I forget the exact number, but like 90 something percent of snaps. Um, his role right now is second to maybe only Christian McCaffrey in the, in the NFL right now. So yeah, I think week three, uh, week four, like the, the immediate future, Kyron Williams is a complete workhorse for the Rams. Yeah. And he does a lot in pass protection as well, which is probably how he won the heart of Sean McVay here, but enough about this game. Let's move on to the next game that we're going to discuss here. We're talking the Tennessee Titans at the Cleveland Browns, uh, Cleveland minus three minus one fifteen right now at home. Not too many major injuries to monitor through practice for the Browns, but obviously that major injury to Nick Chubb was a devastating loss for the team and a de devastating loss to fans uh, who just enjoy watching good football. Nick Chubb is one of the best pure runners in the NFL right now, and to see him suffer such a horrific injury, it's terrible and it hurts me personally. But, I mean, it's the nature of the NFL. When one guy goes down, we have to look forward and move on, and who's next up? The Browns bring in Kareem Hunt. They have... Jerome Ford in their backfield. They also have Pierre Strong, who kind of looks to be playing more so of a special teams role. How do you see this backfield shaking out? Is it just going to be a three-headed mess? Do you think one guy could come out ahead of the other? What are your thoughts? I think it's going to be Jerome Ford's backfield, and then Hunt is going to be mixing in behind him um, as like a complementary back. Maybe in week three, we see Ford in the like a Nick Chubb type role, um, obviously way less talented. And, and then Kareem Hunt filling in the, the role Ford was in before Stefanski said this week um, a couple of times that he's going to be he featured back, lead back, used both terms. So I, I expect it to be Jerome Ford's backfield uh, moving forward. All right. So I shouldn't be kicking myself for dropping all my fab on Jerome Ford then as a former Chubb owner. Um, let's talk about the, the Browns offense as a whole, because obviously losing Nick Chubb is a big loss. But I mean, they really struggled against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night. Sean Watson doesn't look like the Houston version of Deshaun Watson. His throws under pressure aren't there. His accuracy is not really there. Not saying that he was always good at that stuff, but it just seems to be a little bit worse than I remember. Are you concerned at all about Deshaun Watson, especially this game when he's going up against Tennessee Titans who are have a really good uh, front seven here? Uh, I am concerned about Watson. Uh, I was pretty high on him going into the year because I thought he had a super wide range of outcomes and, and you know, for fantasy and, and there's some ways to attack that in, in props as well um capture that high upside but it looks like we're going to get the left side of the distribution um mm -hmm. of, of the wide range of outcomes so this is like a pass funnel defense it's really hard to run on the titans it's a it's a little more friendly to pass on them uh so this might be a good get right spot for watson despite the good front seven but i mean it's just been a pretty brutal two weeks for him yeah and and you talked about uh his his throwing there and his receivers. He has Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore there in the passing game. Last week, it looked like Amari Cooper was going to be out trending towards a game time decision. And then all of a sudden, bang, he's playing. Uh, he, I don't know if you caught the game. Did he look hurt to you at all? He mustered up seven catches for 90 yards. So I can't imagine he was too hurt, but he's probably playing through something. How much does him, his playing time affect Elijah Moore here? 
He looked pretty good to me. Uh, I mean, he was out there a bunch. He more than I expected, to be honest. I thought he'd be more limited than he was, considering it looked like he wasn't even going to play. Um, I mean, Elijah Moore, I think, is going to play a bunch regardless. It's just a question of target competition and Amari. If Amari's out or limited, Elijah Moore could be the receiver one. But with Amari in and playing like he did last week, he's the wide receiver two, takes on a little bit of a smaller role. But I definitely think there's enough room for both Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore to be pretty productive in this offense. Okay, fair enough here. And now let's flip over to the other side of the ball. We got the Tennessee Titans who pulled off a massive victory out of kind of their behind last week uh, in overtime against the Chargers. How much credit are you giving to the Titans for this victory? Or was this game more so just the Chargers chargering? I mean, it's a combination of both. It's, it seems like the Titans always, regardless of how their roster looks on paper, it seems like Mike Vrabel just finds a way to get them to a pretty respectable season. So I, I think the Titans are never going to be a pushover win um, all year long and, you know, behind Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears as well. Um, they obviously were able to pull it out last week. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, again, kind of similar looking at that front seven of the Browns here. Uh, they are, of course, one of the best defenses in the league. They looked really strong against the Steelers on Monday. How do you see Derrick Henry faring against this tough front seven for the Browns? I think Henry's going to be fine. I mean, there, he's only averaging 3.6 yards per carry. He's getting up there in age a little bit, but they're still feeding him the rock. Um, Tajay Spears is playing some on, on passing downs, but Henry still had 25 carries. The Spears is eight last week. So I think they're going to keep feeding him. That's kind of their MO uh, regardless of, of the opponent. So, and, and the Browns have a good pass defense too. So it's not like they're going to just have mm -hmm. Tannehill come out there slinging. So I, I think they're going to keep leaning on Henry. Fair enough here. And you mentioned Ty J Spears kind of eating into that passing game work and eating into the snap share of Derrick Henry with the age of Derrick Henry. I believe he's 28 now and the fragility of the running back position. Um, can you see this trend kind of moving forward here where Ty J Spears, as the season goes on, eats more and more into that Henry workload? I can see it if he plays well. I think for now, Spears is in kind of the Dontrell Hilliard, maybe plus mm -hmm. role um, where he's taking all the passing downs. Maybe the Titans realize that with Henry being almost 30 years old and having so many career touches that if Tajay is deserving of more touches, that they take off uh, touches from Henry whenever it makes sense. Um, but Henry st still did have 25 uh, carries and three catches mm. last week. So they haven't been shy about getting him the ball through two weeks. Yeah. The volume is still there for him, obviously. I just worry again about injury and, and his age. But um, that's about it for the games that we're going to discuss. We're going to get into the best bets in a second. But I just want to remember and remind everyone here, if you're watching the show live, guys, don't forget to smash that like button. It really helps us out, helps support the show. It lets uh, YouTube and the algorithm know that, hey, you like the show. And then it'll also suggest us to other people. So if you like the content that we're making and you want to see more, please hit that like button. It really supports the show. Uh, Jack, let's get into your best bets. You have... I'm going to call it one and a half best bets because one is not available right now, but let's get into the one that is available right now. So you like Allen Robinson? Yeah, it's Allen Robinson under 17 and a half yards on his longest reception. Okay. Uh, Robinson is another guy who's getting up there in age. In week one, his average depth of target was 7.1. In week two, it was 6.0. So he's getting more underneath targets, which doesn't really warrant itself to an 18 plus yard catch, especially when you're Robinson's age and not really a big, yards after the catch threat. Uh, I think Pat Fryermuth will be more involved this week than he was last week. And Calvin Austin is also pushing Robinson for 
snaps, routes, and targets. So I, I think Robinson is going to get, you know, a few targets, but I just question his ability to make plays down the field. Yeah. And on their 17 and a half here is like minus 115 consensus, but pinnacle best price in market minus 113. What's the second half bet let's call it that you have here yeah the second one i mean it's really just kind of a martingale if we're being honest but i took <laughs> i took matt stafford under four and a half rush yards last week and it lost uh even though it's hidden in an extremely high rate in the past uh you know maybe matthew stafford turns into more of a dual threat this year and <laughs> in his mid-30s and i i keep losing money but i i don't i think this is more about the player than the matchup. So I don't think Stafford's rush yards line should be that impacted by the defense he's playing. Um, and so I'm I think that the Stafford rush under, if it pops again at, at three and a half or four and a half, I'm going to be going right back to that. All right. Sounds good. Keep your eye, eyes on the sports book for that. Not listed right now as it's the Monday night game here. Jack, thank you so much for tuning in or for coming and joining us here today. I really appreciate it. It was fun to talk to you and I will catch you later. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. All right. See ya. That was Jack Miller from Establish the Run, guys. Uh, we're almost done the show here. Just a reminder, if you like the content, subscribe. Hit that notification bell. We appreciate all you guys. I see you smashing that like button. I appreciate it. Hit the subscribe button. Hit that notification bell to be notified every time that we go live here. Up next, we have John Legaza, good friend of mine, good friend of the show, host of Call of the Pen on the Hammer Betting Network, NFL and MLB writer for The Athletic. John Legeza, my man. How's it going, man? What's going on? Twice in one day. Look at me. <laughs> Jay, yeah, for... I don't get it, man. I'm running I'm running hot as the sun on NFL props, and I'm 0-2 on the show. I got. We absolutely have to turn around. I think the only props I've missed were here. I missed Rashad White week one. He went out and got it the second time. I missed Elijah Moore last week. He had like nine or ten targets, and we, of course, we finished like a yard short. So come on, man. I'm ready to turn it around. Yeah, the Elijah Moore stuff. I was watching that Monday night, trying to sweat oh. for the show, and I'm just like, I'm like ripping my hair. We just talked about how bad Deshaun Watson's looked, and yeah. it's like, man, like you're you're feeding targets down Elijah Moore's mouth, and then just couldn't get it done for us. But it's okay. We bounce back on the show here today. Uh, let's get into our first game here. We actually talked. We talk a lot behind the scenes here, but one of the games we were talking about here was the Chargers at Minnesota. Minnesota right now yeah. minus one, minus one oh eight over at Pinnacle. Injuries to note for the Chargers here. Eckler is a DNP trending towards being out. Eric Kendrick's DNP. And then Joey Bosa also a DNP, but he was DNP this time last week and ended up playing, I believe. So him. Then also for the Vikings side, that offensive line is decimated. Garrett Bradbury limited. Christian Derrissaw limited. I mean, verbal memes never really work, but this game, it feels like it's the battle of mid. I don't know if you've seen that meme, but the two 0-2 teams face off this week and like, Man, they're both down on their luck. Like the O line for the Vikings, like I just mentioned, completely decimated. Chargers D looks like legit bottom five D in the league. The biggest positive coming out of this game is that most likely one of these teams is going to get a win, unless there's a tie, which would be incredibly on brand for both of these teams. But yeah. which of these teams are you buying going forward? Are you or are you just buying neither of them? Man, it's really tough. They're actually more like the Spider-Man GIF maybe than anything. <laughs> really, but right, explosive offenses. And that's where the mid thing kind of lost me when I saw it on Twitter. The offenses are both really good, right? Yeah. Charger offense, top seven in points per game, yards per game, EPA per play, drive distance, first down per drive, and drive success rate. That's pretty much the entire, you know, gauntlet of efficiency stats. The offense is working. They're rushing the ball well, 147 yards a game, just over 4.8 yards per rush. Those are 
Really good. Minnesota offense, 371 yards a game, more than six yards a play. These are kind of like the benchmarks for excellence. 80% pass rate. See, that might be working against them. Averaging 337 yards a game, more than eight yards per attempt. The offenses are both good. You nailed it, dude. The o- defenses nowadays, I don't know. You, you got to stop them somewhat. Mm-hmm. And we've had, we've seen a bit of this where I think maybe some of these teams have fallen in love with this. We all call it the too high, but they're not all too high. But you can kind of broad brush it with just kind of preventative, right, Mm -hmm. shell coverages. All right, there's a place for those, right? And there's a time and a place to try and stunt the verticality of a game. But there were teams relying on it way too much. And I think we kind of get some of that here. Like the Chargers defense is a good example. They're giving up 31.5 points a game, 438 yards, almost 7 yards of play, 42 yards per drive. Dead last in EPA per drop back, but more importantly, dead last in EPA in the zone. But they run it all the time. So you kind of get this sometimes where teams have like this strategy in their head. And regardless if it works or not, they just keep going at it. They're going to struggle if that's if that's the case again. You know, so one of the places I was looking is, you know, I know you like him. I like Jordan Addison. On the Vikings, really kind of explosive player. He's got the pedigree. We've seen him produce, you know, as far as efficiency goes. And we're watching the workload kind of tick up now. 66% route participation week one. Went up to 78% week two. And I don't think it's long before he's kind of taken over what KJO, right? Mm-hmm. More than yeah. two yards per route run, 15 air yards per target, 27% of the team air yards. So I think the Chargers are going to show zone. And the Vikings are going to look to attack it. Check this out, this Addison stat. You know I brought it. So he's 7 for 133 and 2 on the season. This is Jordan Addison. All seven catches against the zone. All seven. So all of Addison's production against his own, going up against a Charger defense, that does nothing but run a very bad zone. So I expect to see some breakdowns. And I like the Addison yardage props in this one. You know I love the ladders, but we, we can just go for the standard. Let's keep it conservative. And... Man, I don't have it on hand, Jay. I had it and I've lost it. But it was in, I think it was in the low 40s or maybe even high 30s. Uh, it's its ticked up now since uh, it's been posted. I think a lot of uh, pro betters out there are hammering this line in place. It's at 49 and a half right now, actually. But at that same time, I mean, it's a lot, but I, I don't hate that too too much no, here. Like, like you mentioned, Jordan Addison does well in the zone coverage. And it seems like, based off of what you mentioned here, Jordan Addison's been playing basically only three wide receiver sets for the Vikings. Uh, and if they're going to go up against a team that plays zone a lot, it seems like they like to match up their three wide receiver sets against zone coverage here. So if you're good with it, I'm going to lock it in right now. 49 and a half minus 114 is the best yeah, price I, think so. I can find in market. This is another one of the spots for people that like to be a little bit more creative where again, when you're not in love with the base price, it, there's always a good argument to add on a bit of the alt price. You know what I mean? And you know me, Jay, I'm never out there trying to suggest people over leverage or over risk i like to take a little bit of the original risk and put it on the alt ladder right the next rung and you know listen i just hit him last night we hit kittle and we hit debo you know if you stopped at 47 yards or 52 yards you kind of capped your potential i got paid all the way up to 80 on kittle and i got paid all the way up to 100 on debo so just to give people you know there's there's multiple ways this is going to cap but right let's let's just try and bag the w i really still like addison even though it's moved up I think it's going to continue to move up because the Vikings, even if they get ahead, you can't expect them to look to run the ball. The Vikings may have the worst run game in the league. I mean, I'm not even sure if I'm exact. I'm not even sure if I'm exaggerating that part. It is just beyond, beyond poor. 
So, I mean, I guess we're going to, we'll, we'll find out. But I like Addison because he can get it at any time. And where I was going, if the Vikings get ahead, I still think they keep their foot on the gas because the Chargers are very dangerous. Yeah, exactly. With both potent offenses. So, I mean, right. generally leaning towards, uh, I believe it's the highest total highest total on the board. So, I mean, 49 and a half minus 114, we'll lock it in here. Yeah. So let's lock that in for a full unit here. Uh, I, I like how you touched on how bad their backfield has been. I mean, even though they brought in Cam Akers, like he, it's funny because he is like the worst, currently the worst running back in rushing yards over expected. I think he has like minus 42 rushing yards over expected, which is horrible here. But let's flip on to the other side of the coin. We have Austin Eckler, who is DNP for this Chargers and probably going to be out. Uh, is he, so there's always talk running backs don't matter, running backs don't matter. Do you think he's one of the few running backs that do matter? And how much do you think him being out is going to affect this, this Chargers team here? I mean, I think Eckler matters because I think he's very good. Though I think the way he gets used and the popularity he gets comes from the prop market, the DFS market and the fantasy market, where he's more valuable in those games and formats mm-hmm. than I think he is in, in real life. You yeah. know, he's not he's not really my style of running back between the tackles. But again, he's great with his hands and he's great around the end zone. But I don't think it's going to matter because I think it's already baked into the price that I really don't think he's going to play. And it's a sh- it's you know it's kind of a shame. But I guess you know it's yet to be seen. But when I if we have our star running back who's already been out, kind of tracking to be out and has the non-contact jersey on. You know, Thursday's not practicing. Oh, yeah. He wasn't even, he's not practicing at all. He's just watching. So they were trying yeah. to brag about him watching from the sidelines. I'm not really buying that. He's not, not, yeah, not, not buying that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all right. Let's, not playing. yeah. All right. I wanted so, to look at the, at the other side. That's kind of what I was thinking is if we're looking at the Kelly props, they weren't listed. You know, it would be interesting because the, the Minnesota rush defense has been pretty porous. They're allowing over 165 rush yards a game, more than four and a half yards per carry. 55 success rate allowed and a 10% explosive rush. That's that's actually Kelly too. So he's got a lot of those same things. He's got the big explosive rush rate that it's not posted because of what you're saying. I would imagine it's going to come in in like the, what do you want to say? The high fifties, maybe low sixties. Yeah. This is the Kelly rush prop. And when that goes, if it is under like 65, I think you really got to smash it because Minnesota's given up chunk plays they're going to be dropped back looking to cover all the chargers vertical weapons and i think they're going to dare them to to win on the ground yeah fair enough here uh so keep an eye on those josh kelly props they'll probably get listed once uh once austin eckler is ruled out here let's flip over to the next game we want to discuss here denver broncos at the miami dolphins Minus six and a half Miami Dolphins right now are the favorites at minus 105 over at Pinnacle. Injuries of note, not many for the Broncos. Frank Clark mainly DNP trending towards being out. Dolphin side of things, Teron Armstead is limited with a slew of injuries. Jalen Phillips also limited. And then the big one here, Jalen Waddle, another DNP due to a concussion here. I mean, let's start with the Dolphins. Two truthers, they feel vindicated as he's currently the odds-on favorite to win the MVP award. What are your thoughts on Tua's play so far this season? And on top of that, I mean, what are your thoughts of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle's play this season? Well, Miami is phenomenal. I've been I've been ranting and raving the entire offseason about how Miami has turned the game on its head. We already mm-hmm. mentioned the two high stunting vertical north and south. So the best way to combat that is to go east and west. And that's what the Dolphins are doing, using you know elite world-class track stars to run east and west. They've even accelerated that. 
by using three kill in motion, right? So he's getting he's in three or four steps, full speed, head start in mm-hmm. motion, and then taking off into the secondary, creating switches. It's it's impossible. They're impossible to defend right now. Now with Waddle missing, I'm going out in a live, and I'm saying he's missing because it's even going to lead into my prop play. I think the books know Waddle's going to be out also, or these receiving props for Miami would not be out. Yeah. So, and I know you're, I often talk to you about this, Jay, and I think your usage of the book, right? You often use the book to navigate opinions, mm-hmm. to form foundations, and I think that's very smart. And I think this is another place. If we were really worried about Waddle, the Miami props would not be up. Yeah. So that was the non-contact jersey that I just looked up. Waddle's in the non-contact jersey. He's not going to play. He's not playing. They were saying early on he, he was going to practice. So that was like, oh, wow, maybe he's going to play. But he didn't – He didn't, if you're not taking contact, it's not practicing. So Miami offense, number one, 463 yards a game, more than seven yards of play, leading an EPA per play. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Nine and a half yards per attempt. And if you're into the real nerdy stuff, who is also like top five in time to throw? So to be top five in time to throw and top five in air yards per attempt, like that combination of quickness and depth, I mean, this is like Brady-esque. Now, to that point, the reason I was not on Tua or coming in is I still worry about the durability. Mm-hmm. And I knew when he was up, you know, on two feet, he was going to be awesome. But to that point, that's why I worry about the MVP. I, I the MVP investment on Tua is a long-term investment into yeah. something I'm extremely worried about. I'd probably put my money on Matthew Stafford before Tua. Stafford looks like vintage Stafford. He's moving him. He's like moving. I didn't know his <laughs> legs still worked. Yeah, and he's moving been... around and slinging it. And he's got, again, I never want to knock world-class athletes, but like these guys are not, we're not thought of as above replacement level players, right? I don't like mm-hmm. to say players are bad. They're all good. But he's kind of pulling fifth rounders and seventh rounders and undrafted guys that we all kind of wrote off and turning them into superstars on historic pieces. So I'd be looking at Stafford over Tua. But, you know, that's the future stuff. To be honest, Jay, the odds are long enough you probably could get them both. Yeah, that's a good point here. And let's get into you. You kind of teased your best bet here. So, like, let's get into yeah. You have two more on the board. Let's talk about it from instead of going from the Dolphins perspective, you had one on the uh, Broncos perspective here that I wanted you to get into. Uh, let's just tell us a little bit more about this Broncos prop you have. All right, we just do it quick. Again, the Miami defense is, is, is not great. Yep. They run that heavy zone, and they kind of dare you to run. So I think there's going to be some love for the Denver running game. But I was actually looking at Cortland Sutton. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, sometimes, Jay, the answer is not always in two games worth of statistics. Looking back, Denver's 0-2, back up against the wall. They know, again, similar to what I said before, re- there almost is no game script that Denver decides to start, you know, sitting on the ball. That's not mm-hmm. going to happen. If yeah. Denver's up 14-0, 17-0, you would think they're still going to be throwing the ball because Miami can just s- s- score at will, you know, and you-, you can't get caught sitting on your laurels. So I think they're going to be pushing it. With the pass, again, I mentioned a heavy zone, and they allow a lot of completions underneath. So the Miami pass, the, the totals are not crazy, but they have allowed more than 72% completions, and that's a function of the zone. Like, they they understand that. They know that, and they look to limit yak. So I'm looking at Cortland Sutton, 24% of the team target share, and 36% of the team air yards against the zone so far this year. 
His his reception prop is at three and a half. I sort of like even money minus one hundred five. That's the one I want to lock in. Yeah, he had okay, four I... catch. He had four catches in week one. He had five catches in week two. I mean, we're below. We're kind of below the bar, and the script is in place. I'm not sure if this is like a stat algorithm thing, but yeah, to me the answer is looking forward and not backward. I I don't know how something almost doesn't get four grams if he finishes healthy. Yeah, I like that. Maybe it was just the big plays for last week from Mims and, and Johnson over there. But yeah, f- when you sent that to me, I was like shocked. It's only a three and a half. That seems very, very, and very money. low. That could yeah, have been minus 140. Yeah, not yeah. heavy juice. So let's go to the other side of the ball. Your yeah. other best bet. You have a ladder here for us. Tell us about it. Yeah, okay, cool. Last one. Um, Denver defense. Bottom five in e-paper dropback. Passer rating allowed and completion rate. Last week versus Washington, who, like, is not really very good on offense, let's be honest. The Washington tight ends, Bates, Turner, and Thomas, you're like, who? Combined for 789 and 1. Washington runs a, a very split, you know, tight end move. That's the opposite in Miami. They only have one tight end. His name is Durham Smythe, okay, in case you didn't know that. He's played 98% of the snaps. 94% route participation for a tight end. That is 100%. That's almost like 110%. It almost does not exist in this plane of reality. That kind of, you know, workload. He has 10 targets here to date. Caught three in the first game. Caught three in the second game, 44 and 23, respectively. But without Waddle, I think the pathway's open for a yardage game here. I'm on the ladder. The base... I think the base play was 27. Yep, so I started my ladder at 38 because, again, we already, we crossed 38 in week one. So I don't feel like we're we're jumping the shark here. So I got 38 yards at plus 159, 48 yards at plus 340, and 58 yards at plus 994 in case, you know, Mr. Smythe happens to sneak into the seam. Again, these yardage props and ladders are really advantageous in my opinion. Because it's very rare that you hit and just kind of clear the bar. I feel like more often than not, and in particular with the way that the math moves, the payouts, right? Because again, if you're, you know, remember everything, all this stuff is very much weighted. But even if you have one tenth of your allotted risk on that play, on the plus 994 for Durham Smythe, you know, to just stretch an extra 20 yards, it's almost like, Jay, if you believe in a player to get 40, it shouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to get 60. Yeah. And if they're going to offer you 10 to 1 to get that 60, I think you have to put a responsible piece of the risk on it. Okay, so we do $100 full units here on the show. Okay, how do, oh, that's great. How, how do you want to split it up here unit-wise? Do you want to okay, do like I have, a half when unit? When I do on... a three-step ladder yep. on a full unit, I'd say this one, I'd say 0. 0.7, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.1. So 70, 20, and 1. So 0. 0.7 on the 38 plus, 0. 0.2. Two on the 48 plus Correct. and point one, and one on the, the 50. The idea being, if even if we just hit the first step, the entire venture is profitable and we could, you know, go about our business pretty happy. But if he continues, you know, and again, that this just happened last night. Lots of people hit Debo early mm-hmm. and they were capped minus 110 or minus 140, whatever it was. Yep. And, you know, we're building and ended up getting a plus 700 on that hundredth yard. So man. And it was, it was the same. I'm really glad you brought that up because it's very important. Uh, the kind of methodology and how you, how you place these bets. 
And that's always important to kind of do the math, people. So, Jay, I love working with you, dude. But you, I appreciate working with you, you know, too, you know. John. And just so everyone knows, all these picks are tracked third party on Betstamp. You can find us at Forward Progress HQ. If you just search FWD Progress HQ, you can find all these picks tracked over on Betstamp. And we're looking to have a big bounce back week here after uh, Elijah Moore let us down last week. But that just about does it for today, John. Thank you so much for tuning in with me. Uh, we'll talk after the show. Uh, th that was John Legaza from The Athletic. Thanks, John. Congratulations. You did a fantastic job, Jay. Awesome, <laughs> awesome job. Really proud of you. I listened the whole way through, man. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. I appreciate it, John. All right. That just about does it for us here on Forward Progress for the Friday edition. Uh, as a reminder, we're going live every Monday to Friday at 2 p.m. with a sort an assortment of hosts uh, and guests to talk about the football slate coming up this week. Sunday morning as well. Rapazola again, will be live for the pizza buffet at 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern. So if you're looking for bets to sweat on Sunday, that is the place to be. He goes through the entire board live with you and picks out his favorite bets still remaining. Finally, last thing on the docket here is uh, forward progress Sunday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Just before the, the night game, Rob and Clive will be going live uh, for forward progress and we take a look at the opening lines courtesy of pinnacle and talk about all the movement that we see happening in the week if you're looking for to get some good clv that is the best place to be for that so before we head out here just one more reminder hit that like button hit that subscribe button hit the notification bell and if you're listening on audio just leave us a review it helps us out tremendously guys and it, it's completely free so once again last thing Thank you to our sponsors over at Pinnacle, your trusted sports book for the last 25 years. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly and not available in the U.S. That's it for me, guys. Thank you so much to Matt Freeman, Jack Miller, and John Legaza, as well as George Silfides for letting me fill in uh, today. And then finally, you, the audience, for tuning in the entire way through here, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great football weekend, and let's go cash some tickets. See you guys.